Well, Nightingale Research did a fascinating study on worry to discover what percent of worry is actually valid. So consider your life and I'll consider mine and stop and think, you know, all the things that we get caught up in worry about, how many of those worries are actually legitimate? Now here's the top 10 fears, a study by Wolf Rinke. Number 10, dogs, nine, loneliness, eight, flying, seven is interesting, that is death. So there's a lot of things people fear far more than death. Uh, number six, illness, five, deep water, four, financial problems, three, bugs, two, heights, and number one has been the top fear for many years, that of public speaking. Here's a fascinating quote by Robert Fulgram. Knowing we live in this culture where there's a lot of fear on the news and stress and all these statements, you might have seen they're even already predicting, you know, it's going to be another just terrible epidemic of the flu as they're already putting that in people's minds. Here's a great quote from Fulgram. The news represents the exception, not the rule. If it were the rule, it would not be news. So back to the Nightingale study about worry. Fascinating. And keep this in mind past this morning and carry this just kind of on a regular basis when those worries and fears come up. Again, Jesus said, why worry about anything? You can't add an inch to your height by worry. So here's what Nightingale study found. Over 90% of worry is about things that one, never happened, two, already happened, three, are unfounded concerns about health and safety. So here's what they found. Legitimate worries total 8%. 8% of the things that consume so much of our thinking. Worries about things that might happen, might not happen. Here's a man I've mentioned many times, W. Mitchell. He has a great quote about life, especially in regards to things like worry and fear. Again, W. Mitchell, he was in a motorcycle accident. There was a fire ignited by the accident. He was burned on 75% of his body. People made fun of him and his looks, his face badly scarred. He had a dream, though, to fly, and so he pursued a pilot license. The plane he was in one day crashed. He was then paralyzed from the waist down. Pretty brutal things to go through, but he found in that purpose and meaning and happiness goes around today sharing about how to be happy and have victory in all things. Here's his quote, though. Here's a key principle to a successful life. There's no absolute relationship between any two variables. As he says, if you say to yourself, if I have this, then this will be the result, you make a big mistake. When we say things like, you know, if I just had more money, then I'd be happy. Or if I just had this relationship, then I would do this. And again, as we looked at here just a couple weeks back, Solomon lived in that frame of mind and said, you know what? I had everything and having everything didn't bring me any peace inside. So there's no variable there's an absolute that you can say if this happens, then this will happen. We all know people that have everything they ever wanted but are also very unhappy. And then you know people that have all sorts of just challenges in life, but they have just tremendous peace. Which brings us to what we're going to look at briefly here today, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah normally read on the Day of Atonement. Now why is that? The Day of Atonement on the calendar just a couple weeks back 
Why is the book of Jonah read on that day? Well, let's start chapter 1, verse 1. Just three verses we'll look at. Here's the first one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Its wickedness has come up before me. The first thing we see in Jonah is the same thing we see in our own life. We all have a place where God has said go. Now for Jonah, it's go and bring the gospel to Nineveh. And here's the second part of what we understand. Before the judgment, God sends a reminder of his grace so that people could repent and would repent. Go. We have to each stop and ask, you know, where God has said go, have I gone? When he's called me to be his witness, have I been that witness? Love this quote by Wolf Rinke. Expand this, though, beyond what he mentions here. Apply it to life in general. Studies show most heart attacks happen on Monday morning. People stressed about the week, stressed about their jobs. Many don't like their jobs. Thinking about the week before them, Wolf Rinke says Monday is a thought. Monday is a thought. You know, if Monday was the first day of vacation, somebody would be very happy. We interpret an event and give it a meaning. Remember W. Mitchell, there's no absolute connection between two variables. When somebody says, you know, if it were Friday, then I'd be happy. Monday is a thought. Fear is a thought. Worry is a thought. Why is it that Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh? They're the enemy to his people. And his concern is, one, he doesn't like them, and two, what will his friends think if he goes and shares the gospel with the enemy? Monday is a thought. Limitation is a thought. This man understood that very well. This is Jun Ree. He came from Korea many years ago, popularized the martial arts in our culture. But he also knew he dealt with children and youth that were in a lot of trouble. Many caught up in drugs, many lonely or suicidal. He wanted to show them you can overcome any limitation if you just understand limitation is a thought. So at 58, he said, I'm going to start doing a thousand push-ups a day. Now, they consider it on a health test excellent if you can do 50. And at 58, he's going to start... A thousand. It took him two years, and at 60, he was doing a thousand push-ups a day, 500 in the morning, 500 at night, all to show people that, again, limitation is a thought. An unknown writer shared, excellence can be attained if you care more than others think is wise, risk more than others think is safe, dream more than others think is practical, and expect more than others think is possible. This is Ruth Bennett. She was a missionary to India for many years. When she came back to the States, she wanted to get in better shape. In her 60s, she began to enter marathons at 94. 94. Still competing in marathons. Monday is a thought. Limitation, fear, worry, these are thoughts. We all know what happens next in the book of Jonah, verse 2. But Jonah ran away from the Lord 
and headed for Tarshish. This is going to be costly for Jonah. When he goes to Tarshish, tries to go, Tarshish is 2,000 miles away. Nineveh, where he was called to go, 500 miles. He's going four times the distance in the opposite direction. That opposite direction, the next verse says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship. Again, sin in Scripture is always down. The way away from God is down. Running away from God is to go down. In the Old Testament books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, they were warned, do not go down to Egypt. Down represents the world itself. And so when Jonah goes to Tarshish, he runs away from God, and that means he goes down into sin in the self. Great quote by Matt Chandler about that challenge of self, self-seeking. He says this, from the moment we are born, we seek our own happiness. Give me a bottle, give me a thumb, give me some food, entertain me, dance for me, make those funny faces. We are born snapping our fingers for satisfaction and we never really stop. If I just had this, then I would be this. That's a wrong way to think, and it's 100% false. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. Lewis himself famously would say when he became a believer, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun because by it I see everything. And all his life from that moment of redemption was seen through the lens of being redeemed in Christ. But he didn't go to religion to be happy. You can go to the bar, he said, for that. What he found in Christ was fulfillment and the answers to the big questions and deliverance from the power of sin. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 22, we're told... These are Solomon's provisions for one day. Here's what Solomon had in one day. 30 cores or measures of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pasture, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelle, roebucks, and fatted fowl. What did it take for one day for Solomon's provision? As researchers match the amount that was given in these measures, that was enough food for over 10,000 people. What is the point? Solomon threw on a regular basis massive parties, thousands of people there. He famously said, if I wanted something, I took it. And then he took it by the thousands. Richest man to ever live, wisest man to ever live. And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, he said, after all that stuff, the big parties and everything I had, what was missing, though, was true lasting fulfillment, true meaning. He said all that other stuff that consumed me was what? It was chasing the wind, vanity. 300 years ago, Joseph Addison said there are three things you need to be happy. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. What Jonah missed was in his self-seeking, he ran away from God, went down to Joppa, 
and wondered why he was so unhappy. In fact, as you get to the end of the book, he's incredibly angry, a very angry man. Much different than Addison who said, find something to do, something to give your life for, something to love. Who loves you? Who do you love? And then ultimately, something to hope for. Where do you put your ultimate faith and trust? Ultimately, in Christ alone do we find what will be true, everlasting fulfillment. Gerald Coffey, incredible piece of advice he offers here. He was a POW for seven years in Vietnam. Tortured, other men committed suicide. He came out of that seven years happy. And now he goes around the world like W. Mitchell and teaches people how to overcome obstacles, limitations, and especially to find true peace. And here's what he said happened. The moment my life changed when I stopped praying, why me, God? And began to pray, show me, God. Many of us need to maybe stop and say, you know, there's a lot of times we get caught up in the why me. A much better change for life. Monday is a thought. Limitation is a thought. Worry and fear. All these things. What if instead of, why me God, we began to pray, as Gerald Coffey says, show me God. Show me what I'm supposed to do with this situation. Show me what I'm supposed to do with this individual or this challenge. Teach me in this moment so that I can... Go as you say go, instead of going down and running away. Last verse here in Jonah that we'll look at, chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah paid the fare, went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. When Jonah paid the fare, there's always a cost to run away from the divine calling in life. For Jonah, it cost, again, as we said, peace of mind. It was going to cost his reputation. He was going to trust in his life when he didn't do what he was told he needed to do. Disobedience, there's a fare to pay. There's a cost to it. Much better to go where he says go and find then the real purpose for our life. To lay it down one for another. One last incredible piece of advice from Wolf Rinke. Something to stop and say to self when self is caught up in selfishness or anger or sin. Maybe saying negative things or thinking negative things. It's a great piece of advice. Just simply say to yourself, if someone else were doing this, this behavior, this thinking, this negativity, this anger, this sin, if someone else were doing this, would I admire them? You know, people don't admire Jonah for running away from his calling. When we see biblical heroes fall into sin, we don't admire them 
in that place. We write stories out about people that overcome and stand strong no matter the opposition. Like David defeating Goliath, those are the stories that matter in life to propel us forward to that pursuit of excellence. Same can be said for you and me. Sometimes we need to stop and look at our life, the way we live, the way we neglect the things of the faith. Maybe our lackluster half-commitment to the churches. Maybe our lackluster half-commitment to our faith. And we need to stop and say, if someone else were doing this, would I admire them? So why is it Jonah is read on the Day of Atonement? Ultimately, as you read the rest of the book, it's not about a fish. It's about something far deeper. It's about the promise that nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace and redemption. The Day of Atonement is when it was recognized in the Old Testament that salvation, forgiveness was available for the entire world. And the book of Jonah is to remind us nobody's beyond the reach of redemption. Whether that redemption is for the entire city of Nineveh that does repent, whether that redemption is for the sailors on the ship who also give their lives to God, or it is that redemption even found reluctantly in Jonah's own life, when he does repent, that's the beauty. Sometimes we need to stop and say, you know what, instead of why me God, let me begin to pray, show me God. If someone else did the things I were doing, would I admire them? Remember, Monday is a thought. Moving away from the go that God calls us to is costly. Walking in sync with that calling, that's where fulfillment is truly found. Matt Chandler shared about going to a concert where they were going to have a speaker share the gospel. He had met a girl in class in college. She was not a believer, but he said, come to this concert. I think you'll like it. Maybe you'll hear some things from the speaker that will really touch your heart. The speaker stood up and he took out a rose. He said, look at this beautiful rose. This is something you can be proud of. I'm going to pass this rose around. I want you to see it up close. Smell how great it smells. Passed the rose around and then he began to say, there's a cost to sin. There's a cost to compromising your values. And as he continued to talk about the destructiveness of disobedience to the calling of God, he finally said, can I have the rose back? Whoever has it. And so somebody walked up with the rose. It was now broken. The petals had fallen off. And he stopped and he said, now look at this rose. Would you be proud of this? Would you want this? And then he closed his sermon. And Matt said he and his friend left and she was silent. Dropped her off at his ho- her house. Went to class on Monday, she didn't show up. Class on Wednesday, she didn't show up. 
class on Friday, she didn't show up. So he called her house. Told her mom who he was. She said that the girl had been in an accident. She was going to recover, but she was at the hospital. She would be there a few days. And Matt said he immediately got dressed, rushed over to the hospital. She had been in a bad car wreck. She was all bandaged up, bruised and scratched. And he walked into the room. And she looked at him and said, before you say a word, I need to ask you a question. Do you think that I am a broken, dirty rose? Matt said, you know that speaker, he had good intentions, but he didn't finish the rest of that story. He said, here's the rest of that story. Jesus loves the broken, dirty rose. And he restores the broken, dirty rose. The book of Jonah is to remind us none of us and no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. For this, he gave his life to redeem us, to restore us, and then to send us to be a witness.